The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you, Maureen. Welcome, everyone. So, Andrea is away this week. She asked me if I would come and talk to you. But she didn't give me a topic to talk about, so I thought I'd choose something that was kind of um, current for me. So, so I had visited my family, my father and, and friends, um, around Memorial Day, and things came up. So before I say what the subject of tonight's talk is, I wanted all of you to um, pay attention to how you respond when you hear this subject. <laughs> so if you'd actually maybe get back into a little bit more of a meditative posture and notice how, you, how your body and how your mind responds when you hear the subject of tonight's talk. And if you get nothing else tonight other than just noticing how you respond to the subject, <laughs> I'll consider it a success. <laughs> okay, so the subject of tonight's talk is sickness, old age, death, and freedom. So did you all hear that? Did anyone fall asleep when they, after they heard sickness? So we'll try it one more time. Certainly I would. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk about sickness, old age, death, and freedom. Okay, so now you can relax. <laughs> um, those four things that I mentioned are considered the holy messengers, the four heavenly messengers that um, motivated the Buddha to actually figure out what's going on in this life with suffering. You know, is it necessary? So, I don't know, uh, some, some people I recognize, have you all heard the story of the life of the Buddha? Does anyone... Does, does that sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> Any hands? <laughs> yeah, but I okay. Right. So, um, when you first hear, particularly the first three of sickness, old age, and death, you know, you kind of, you know, I, I find my sort of first reactions a little bit of like, I don't want to think about those. I don't want to pay attention to those. But those were exactly what motivated Prince Gotama, the, the man who was later to become the Buddha, to actually go out and discover what he discovered and is, you know, what, what we teach here. Um, Prince Gotama was... Um, brought up by his father, the king. You know, he had this very nice palace. Um, and when Prince Gotama was born, 
there was a prophecy that either he would become an incredibly wealthy and powerful king with a lot of political and military power and um, great prestige in, in that realm, or he would become a renowned spiritual teacher. You know, so his father's a king. He wants him to kind of go into the family business, right? He really doesn't want him to become some kind of spiritual teacher. So he decides he's really going to make sure that his son buys into this worldly power um, experience. So as the story goes, um, they surrounded Prince Gotama with just all of the material sense pleasures that they could find. You know, it was like the best food, the best clothes, you know, entertainers. Um, You know, there's stories of a gigantic harem, you know, just everything that would be, that would um, make him want to really stay in the material, in the realm of accumulating material wealth and um, a sense experience. And they excluded anything that might make him question that. So the the palace was, in some ways, a you know some sort of early psychological Skinner box or something to kind of keep this guy, uh, you know, wanting wanting to to lead the material life. But when he got to be around twenty seven, um, and he got curious about what what goes on outside this this palace. Um, and so in some kind of surreptitious way, he, he, he talked his attendant into taking him out into the city. And as he wandered around, he started seeing things he had never seen inside the palace, right? So um, the first thing that he came across was an old person. It's kind of hard to believe, but somehow or other they had kept him in this palace and never, he had never seen somebody that was old and you know, infirm. You know, he didn't realize that that was um, an inevitable, if you lived long enough, that was an inevitable condition that you'd experience. And so, um, you know, he asked his attendant, you know, what is this guy and, you know, why is this happening? And, you know, his attendant said, well, this is, this is what happens as a human being. You get, you get old. You know, you start to lose your faculties, you know, your mobility, vitality. Uh, then then, then they, they went on a little further, and the next person they came across was somebody that was uh, sick, you know, ill, infirm. And um, I don't quite know how this would work, but apparently he had never seen anyone that was sick. And so and he wanted to know from his attendant, well, what what is this? And the attendant said, "Well, yeah, you know, every everyone gets sick. Every, you know, this illness is unavoidable." And they went a little bit further, and they came across a dead person, a corpse. And he had never seen a a corpse in his life inside the palace, and uh, he was aghast. You know, like his attendant told him, well, you know, eventually this happens to everyone. The body dies. You know, no breath, no motion. 
I suppose that at that time in India, if if it wasn't a fresh corpse, it probably even was, you know, there was probably some smell associated with it. It's starting to, to decay. Now, the the part of the story I, I'll, I'll sort of make up, well, I'm, I suspect that this is not really an embellishment, is that for all three of those people, he probably also saw um, some suffering around what was going on. You know, that either the old person or people around him, you know, had some uh, uh, despair, some grief, some sadness. Um, you know, that there was... Uh, there definitely wasn't happiness around somebody getting old, somebody um, being ill, and somebody dying. And so it was a real eye-opening experience for him, you know. And then the fourth person he came across was a spiritual seeker, somebody that was a monk in robes, living a simple life, who seemed to be walking through this whole world, this whole world of sickness, old age, and death, and suffering, um, with a sense of contentment and peace. And so that motivated him to think, you know, maybe, maybe there's some way out of, ha- of the suffering that comes from those three conditions. And so he went back to the palace, and he was so motivated by seeing these three conditions and the possibility of freedom from them that he um, took a decision to leave the palace, to leave the, the, the luxurious, easy life of being a prince, including leaving behind his wife and his, and his young son, who he loved, because he was even he was more motivated to find out to understand this whole thing of suffering than to just live a you know kind of a contented normal life as a prince so probably none of us have had that quite that same experience in our lives i don't know how many of you were born in palaces but I think there's also a way in which we probably have lived in a culture where some of those things, you know, old age, um, you know, we, people tend to be put off into nursing homes and places like that, you know, sort of um, a little bit out, out of, out of uh, sight. Sickness, of course, again, there, there's hospitals and that. But And then death. You know, when, when somebody dies uh, in the hospitals, um, often they whisk them right out of the room and they disappear into the morgue. You know, we don't, we don't see them. I've been to, I think, four funerals in about the last year. Uh, two of them were, you know, you could actually see the body. There's an open casket. But two of them, it's like you... You know, you knew that something had happened, but you you know you don't really uh, see what's going on. So, 
um, at least from my experience, there's a way in which maybe I didn't have a father that kept me from seeing these aspects of life. But I think I had sort of a society that made it much easier for me to not acknowledge those aspects. So in late May, when I went back to Wisconsin, I was visiting my father, who's 86. And I would consider that old age. You know, I mean, he walks a little stooped over now. He was having, you know, some functioning of his uh, urinary tract wasn't quite working right, and he had to have some... When I came, he was just coming back from being in the hospital for an operation. And uh, I found that I didn't, I wasn't always meeting him with an openness and a, um, I'm not going to say this, there was a certain part of me that wanted to not really look carefully at where he was at. You know, that I was kind of hoping, well, this is kind of a transient thing. He just came out of the hospital, I'm sure, in a, a week or a month, you know, he'll be different. So there was my father. I had, um, and his twin sister, who's got arthritis, um, In, so that was for old age in terms of sickness. A friend of mine who I, I spent time with had just had um, major surgery on his eyes. He had glaucoma. So they had to do this very um, the surgery, which has kind of slowed the degradation of his loss of his eyesight. But you know it was a major thing. It, it forced him to have to retire from his job. Um, See, I guess there was a couple other people that were... Oh, yeah, then his wife had just had breast cancer. She had um, gone through all of the stages of, uh, I think it was chemo and then surgery and then radiation. And then um, in the last, in the previous two months, three people I know had, had died. You know, a friend of mine, her mother had passed away. Um, and then another friend of mine, his father had passed away just two weeks before I went back there and, and, and they were both in their nineties. And then, um, but then another guy who had been in a relationship with a friend of mine, he was almost exactly my age, big, strong, strapping guy. He had died three weeks before of lung cancer. You know, he had one of these hard-living guys that liked smoking cigars, figuring, you know, you know, I'll do what I want to do, you know, this, you know, all of this scare about smoking and cancer is a bunch of baloney. So, you know, he recklessly went forward. So this whole visit, you know, the, the sickness and old age and death were kind of right in my face. 
And then even in a more, maybe even closer and, and perhaps more subtle way, uh, I had turned 61, and so there were two birthday parties for me. And one of them, there were four of us that all had turned, that's right, four of us had all turned 61. So all my peers, people my age. And um, I remembered when I was young, maybe the age of the Buddha when he started at 27, I, I couldn't figure out why old people always talked about their health. Like, why, why are they so interested in, like, you know, who's got what operation and, you know, what's going on? It just seemed like the most um, absurd thing to talk about. And so here I was sitting around this table with my peers, the people I've known, one guy since second grade and one guy since um, kindergarten, talking about all our ills. You know, kind of talking, you know, like asking people to repeat what they said, you know, and didn't quite hear. And um, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that uh, I, I can't, I can no longer easily pretend that this isn't happening to me, that this aging process isn't happening to me. So... So at some point, the the um, kind of the psychological pushing away and ignorance or distraction starts to fall away. You know, you just can't pretend that old age, sickness, and death are something that happened to other people. And yeah, I kind of know it's going to happen to me, but you know, that's like. Somewhere in the future, you know, it's like right now I'm kind of busy doing other things. I don't really want to attend to this. Um, and actually, before I went on this trip, I had done a day-long seminar on retirement at work. And at the end of that seminar, I remember feeling very tired. And it wasn't until a week later I realized, oh, I just spent a whole day looking at the practicalities of sickness, old age, and death. You know, I mean, it was all about life insurance. I mean, about health insurance, about long-term care, uh, uh, what resources I'm going to need as I go into a nursing home, and all these other things, and um, making sure all my death beneficiary forms were filled out so that when I did die, that you know, all of my whatever I had left was going to go to the right people. And so, uh, so it, was, it was quite eye-opening. And I realized one of the ways that uh, I've met this experience, and I suspect other people have as well, is when you start, you know, you, you can live in a certain degree of um, denial, right? And at some point you might meet it with um, a sense of despair, a, spent, a sense of um, you know, frustration, grief, um, you know, just sort of... All, which are all forms of aversion, right? Um, But there isn't any freedom in meeting it that way, 
right? I mean, you can meet it as though you're a victim of having taken a human birth and uh, somehow having gotten to this point. Um, But I think there's another way. I mean, certainly the way that the Buddha met it, I mean, his his studies, his seven years uh, between when he went out, when he left the palace and when he became enlightened were around understanding can we meet these qualities in a way where we don't end up suffering. So looking at what is it that we're holding on to, what is it that we're grasping that's causing us the distress about life being this way. So, um, although I don't think that's exactly why I came to this practice initially. I mean, it certainly, for me, the, the suffering was more about various kinds of wanting. But um, now I find it at this age, um, working on, or, you know, working with, how do I face my mortality um, my fragility, um, my vulnerability, with in a way that's um, open-hearted, open-minded, and compassionate. And I f- feel uh, the great good fortune of having the teachings that I've received here, and particularly the people I've met here. So one of my friends just went into hospice last Friday. And so for the last four days, a group every day at noontime, a group of us have gone and sat with him, uh, he in his hospital bed and the rest of us on the floor. Um, Not that we were... You know, at first I thought, well, I guess we're going to go there to comfort him. But actually, he invited us to come and sit with him for us to learn. You know, for us to be with somebody that's, you know, stage four cancer, uh, kind of reached the end of all medical intervention, and been able to experience the way that he's been able to just continue to pay attention, just continue to be present for what life is like, where he is right now. Um, You know, the time that I spend with him, I don't get a sense of any any kind of sense that... um, that he's um, angry or disturbed or um, in denial about what's happening. But there's just such an openness and a um, 
recognition that 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 although there's pain I don't see any suffering and so he's been a teacher for me in in this regard and what I found with with this group of people who have been sitting with him is that actually there's been his decline, I guess, his, his inevitable movement towards um, the ending of, the, of this human life, is that it's evoked a lot of um, compassion from the other people. Uh, you know, it's evoked compassion for me. And it's also evoked compassion between all of us, you know, like as we all recognize that he's not unique in this um, and that it is possible for there to be, you know, a sense of um, contentment and peace with life being the way it is, that that sickness, old age, and death aren't some mistake. They're not some um, indication that we've done something wrong. We haven't lived correctly. And and also kind of an element of recognizing uh, some of the inherent uh, problems of actually identifying with this body as who I am. You know, that, that we, t- we, take, we can take sickness, old age, and death very, very personally. But seeing, you know, that, that this body just came about through causes and conditions and is going through um, its, you know, the, sort of the, the process that bodies go through. Um, we don't have, we don't have to um, go to some place of despair when we see this happening. That we can just, we can just be with it. So, I don't. So I don't say these as though I've got it all figured out. I really don't. You know, this is kind of a work in progress for me and for everyone. Um, oh yeah. So there's. So one of the one of the things that in our practice there's in there's specific. Um, Practices for working with these, with sickness, old age, and death, and freedom, which are called the five daily recollections. And these are things that in the monasteries they do every day. And on some retreats, there was, there was one by this teacher, Analio, that we had at IRC a few weeks or months ago. So these are things that you may want to consider for working with these rather than just 
kind of waiting until they're in your face and then, you know, see, seeing uh, what happens. So I'll read these five daily recollections and um, they're all on the web so you don't have to try to memorize them but you, you they're a way to, um, that can help you develop um, a certain freedom or peace around um, sickness, old age, and death. So the first daily recollection is, I am of a nature to grow old. I cannot avoid aging. I am of a nature to grow old. I cannot avoid aging. So these recollections aren't about you know, trying to bring you into some kind of morbid or depressed state, but really to help you kind of face in an honest and hopefully compassionate way the inevitabilities of life. The second one is, I am subject to illness and infirmity. I cannot avoid illness and infirmity. And again, this is not about not taking care of your body. Like, illness is going to happen, so, you know, why go to the doctor? Why not just eat Cheetos all day? You know, I mean, it's important that one take care of the body in, in the ways that they can, you know, eating well, exercising, you know, maintaining a good weight, social activities, but recognizing that there's a limit to that. There's, you know, even though there are people who may offer diets that are going to make you live to a thousand or something, I'd be skeptical of those. The third one is, I am of a nature to die. I cannot avoid death. So even if you age gracefully, and maybe you're fortunate to have really good health, there's no way around the inevitability of death. You know, so kind of doing this recollection in a way that um, can help break that delusion of um, just following your preferences rather than really paying attention to what's important to you. How do you really want to live what time you have left? You know, can, you know, what, what is it that, what is, what is your deepest desire? The fourth one is, I will be parted from all that is dear and beloved to me. I will be parted from all that is dear and beloved to me. That's probably one of the hardest ones for me to, to you know, to really pay attention to. Um, you kind of know that's going to happen, but well, actually, I find this this one is becoming more pre- prevalent for me because as I get older, my memory's worse. So some of the the being parted from what's dear to me is that I can't find it. I can't remember what I did with with something or a telephone number. So, uh, 
So that's, that's the fourth daily recollection. And then the fifth one is really about, well, what can we do? You know, where do we have choice? And this has to do with our actions or our karma. This one is, I am the owner of my actions and heir to my actions. Actions are the womb from which I spring. My actions are my relations. My actions are my protection. The fruits of all my actions, both wholesome and unwholesome, skillful and unskillful, I will inherit. This is a lot longer, so I'll read it again. I am the owner of my actions and heir to my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. My actions are my relations. My actions are my protection. The fruits of all my actions, both wholesome and unwholesome, skilled and unskillful, I will inherit. So for me, that one really points to the importance that even though there's a lot of things about being in this life that are beyond our influence, that what we do and what we say and what we think are all incredibly important. They're what set the stage for our, you know, our experience in the future, um, our states of mind, um, our, our ability to be present. So, although the first three often might point to a certain, mm, point to the things that we think we're in control of, but we really aren't, uh, this one on karma and action, you know, what our intentions are, um, you know, the wholesomeness of our speech, the wholesomeness of our actions, the wholesomeness of our thoughts are all very important for finding that sense of peace and freedom. So, so let's see. I think we'll have time for... One of, so one of the things that I would like to do tonight, if, if you're willing, is for us to get into groups of three. And I know some, sometimes we have resistance to, to speaking to one another, so I'm going to have a series of questions, and you'll only, you'll only have a minute to respond to each question, so you don't have to worry about you know, trying to come up with some long story. Um, but it might be helpful for you to actually be able to verbalize your relationship to the things that we're talking about tonight. So, and if you're not willing to be in a group, maybe you could just sit still and work with the question as I, as I say it. And then at the very end, we'll, we'll get a chance to share some with each other. So if you're game, maybe you could just turn to one or two people next to you, kind of form little groups of three and... Um, if you can't find anybody, you could come up towards the front and we'll, we'll help you. Well, it looks like there's two back there, so maybe one. 
Okay, so does everybody that wants to be in a group find a group? Did would would you like to participate? What's that? Oh, okay. All right. Good. All right. So um, I'll I'll ring a I'll I'll ask this question, and each person will have basically just one minute to say what's most what comes to mind. You know what comes to mind when you hear this, and then I'll ring the bell, and we'll we'll go around the group. And so there's actually four questions. So. Um, you don't need to tell some elaborate story. Just, you know, sort of the first thing that comes up when you hear this. So the first, the first, um, the first question is, um, thinking over the last few days or weeks or months, have you been somehow touched or affected by death? Oh, sorry, touched or affected by old age, maybe a parent or a friend or a coworker, and how have you related to that? So, how how have you you know kind of look at how did you respond to the presence of old age? You know, some some moment, and it doesn't have to be the most poignant experience, but whatever you're willing to share. So um, let's you know, decide who's going to start first. And uh, okay, and so okay, so one more time. So the question is, think of some experience you've had where you've been touched by old age, you know, either you or a friend or, you know, some contact you've had with old age, and how have you responded to it? How have you related to it? You know, kind of like, was it something that you became curious about, that you wanted to move towards or move away from uh, or fix, you know, just so that kind of thing, okay? So let's the first person begin. Okay, so now switch to the next person.
Okay, and so now switch to the third person. Okay, now the next question, so that we'll go back to person number one. The next question is the same thing only about relating to uh, illness, disease, or sickness. Think of a, an experience that you've had recently with, with um, illness, and how have you related to that? Okay, so now switch to the person number two. Okay, and now person number three.
Okay, so now the third question for person number one. I know this is a lot of... The third person is the same kind of question, only experience with death. You know, whether you've, maybe you've known somebody that's died recently. How, how, have, how do you relate to, to, to death? So we'll start that. Okay, so now uh, switch to person number two. Okay, and now sw- switch to person number three in your group. Okay, and so the, the fourth and final question for person number one is see if you can think of a time when you've been able to face these sickness, old age, and death with a certain degree of uh, composure or compassion or um, acceptance. Um, you know, can, can you recall having a time of some ease around seeing these 
and not being caught by them. So uh, in this one, you know, if you can think of something, fine. If not, it's okay to make something up. <laughs> you know, just, you know, that sense of, you know, is, you know, some feeling of, of freedom. So this, this may be a little harder to um, come to, but um, let's give it a try. So we'll have to start with person number one. Okay, so now uh, switch to person number two. Okay, and then switch, I think we go to person number three. So uh, you can then finish up and um, thank and acknowledge the people that are in your group for their what they've what they've offered for you. Um, I apologize that I didn't leave more time to make this a little more spacious, but uh, ho- hopefully it's 
started you on the road of appreciating doing this uh, five daily reflection recollection practice and um, if you find this useful then please you know continue with it if if it isn't useful please leave it behind <laughs> and uh, thank you all for your for coming tonight and thank you for your practice <laughs>